Hi, this is Brian Donahue. I'm the planner and lead pastor at Pursuit Friends Church. We're really excited and humbled that you've chosen to spend some time with us this week. We here at Pursuit Friends are committed to pursuing God with abandon and passion. We'd love for you to be a part of our Sunday morning gathering as we worship, hear the message from God's Word, and fellowship. We've got a great community that the whole family can feel a part of something special and authentic. I'll talk more about that at the end of our message this week, though. I hope you come hungry for the Word, that you're at a place in your heart to receive a challenging and life-giving Word from the Lord today. Let's dive in together. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we can't say enough how good you are and how great you are, how mighty and powerful you are. You're the creator of all things. And all we can do is worship you. All we can do is bow down before you. And today, oh God, as we talk about worship a little bit and how we apply worship to our lives, Lord God, would especially in this season of Christmas, Lord God, that is filled with such great joy and happiness for many and excitement and anticipation. At the same time, Lord God, there are many, many people who this time of year, it's, it's just hard. It's just difficult. We've lost loved ones. Uh, we, there, there are people not as fortunate as us who just don't have the same experience at Christmas time as we do. And so, Father, as as we consider that and as we approach celebrating your birth, Jesus, may our hearts and our minds just be in a constant state of worship, thanking you for all that you've done for us and then asking you, Lord, what can we do now? You have done this for us. What can we do for those around us? Father, just be in this. May the words that I speak be from your heart. May they challenge us. May your spirit change us and convict us of, of what we need to change in our lives, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, just to be totally honest and transparent, Friday rolled around and... Uh, I went, uh, I haven't written a sermon yet. We've been working on our denominational ask for financial assistance that is tomorrow night. So be in prayer for that or it's going to happen in this room. And we've got big wigs from the denomination coming. They would hate that I call them big wigs. Um, but uh, I say that with all the love in my heart. They're, they're coming to hear a proposal to learn more about what we're doing and to see how the denomination might be able to financially assist us on a, on a greater level. And uh, so we've been working very hard on that uh, this past week in particular. And uh, I just totally forgot that I had to write a sermon. So I picked one up I wrote a couple years ago. Um, but as I, as I look through all of my past sermons and Bible studies and things that I've done, uh, this one stuck out to me as what I felt uh, would be appropriate as to where I'm at in my walk with the Lord and, and what I believe God would have to say to us today. We're going to talk about why should we worship and we're going to look, we're going to be mostly in the Old Testament today. Um, 
because I really think it's important for us to have a well-rounded understanding of what the Bible says about worship. It's, it's, we have the Psalms, of course, which we pull a lot from as far as worship. There's a lot of great Psalms and passages in there that we actually use in our songs um, and that may, maybe many of us pray through the Psalms occasionally um, or very often. And so there's that. But a lot of times we look to the Old Testament for a lot of our guidance and counsel and inspiration. And so today we're going to turn back a little bit and we're going to look at some of the reasons why the ancient Jews worship God, why the Israelites worship God and come at it from that perspective and point of view. And then we're going to try to apply it to how we should worship God today as, as we get to the end here. Have you guys ever gone to a movie theater and to watch a movie, but you only had time to watch the first half? Anybody ever done that? So you would get up and leave. Anybody ever done that? No, you haven't. Have you? Okay. Not because you wanted to. Was the movie bad? Emergency. Okay. Something happened. You know? Yeah. Okay. Nobody uh, that I know of buys a movie ticket and says, oh man, I only got time for half of this sucker. And then gets up halfway through and walks out. Right. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of ridiculous. There's some movies maybe we should walk out on because all the stuff, all the junk we're seeing is just not what the Lord would have us put into our brains. Right. But there's it's just ridiculous that we would go and buy a movie ticket or even buy a like a sports ticket and just go see half the game. Who does that? It's hard to watch half a movie and understand the whole storyline. And that's the same way when it comes to God. We cannot just take the New Testament and say, I've got the whole picture. We can't just take the Old Testament and say, I've got the whole picture of God. Because the Bible is the entire story from beginning to end of God's story in his plan for us and for the earth. And we need to make sure that we're being faithful to study both of them and apply it to our lives as best we can. And there's two reasons to study the Old Testament examples of worship. Number one, the Old Testament scriptures are a part of the divinely inspired word of God and authoritative for the life of the church, at least in theological principle, if not in literal meaning. Meaning there are things in the, in the Old Testament law that we just simply do not do anymore. Right. Thank you, Jesus. Right. I would hate to have to keep sacrificing animals over and over and over and take it somewhere and be inconvenienced that way. Cause that was a big inconvenience. It wasn't like that was something super easy to do all the time and have another pre have someone else make you know, totally not what we do today. There's all sorts of laws in the old Testament that we just don't follow anymore. But there are principles in things that that we do live by and that we should live by, according to even the Old Testament, because, again, it's God's story. We need to understand that the law was created not so that we could follow it because no man has ever been able to follow it. That's why we need Jesus. 
God set forth the law to the children of Israel to show his perfection and his greatness and to say to people on earth, you can never measure up to my righteousness. It was never intended to be followed perfectly. It was never expected that they would be able to follow it perfectly. It was simply to show people God's righteousness and his holiness. And to say, here is the standard. You will never be able to achieve it, but God, but Jesus. That's why Jesus came along. And then number two, it's important to study Old Testament examples of worship and what the Bible says about worship and who God is in the Old Testament because the life of the Israelite nation depicted in, in the accounts of the Old Testament provides the pattern of public worship found in both Judaism and Christianity today. And we see that the God of Israel was the object of veneration in the Old Testament for three main reasons. Turn to Genesis 1, 1 to 3. I'm going to ask, ask those that are willing to read to read out loud. Um, so, Ron, since you are um, there, Genesis 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning, Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. We see that God is a God of creation. Someone turn to Isaiah 42, 5. I'll read this one. This is what the Lord God says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives birth or who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. You can write down Job 12, 7 through 10 talks about God as the creator. Job 12, 7 through 10. Also Psalm 104, 24 through 25 and, and just a whole a lot of other creations give God gives God his due as the creator of the universe. And in the New Testament, we see this as well in, in John one, one through five. Let's turn there. It's, it's such this is an important, crucial passage um, for us as believers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I still got to do that every now and then. So John one, one through five. This is this is a powerful passage. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. Jesus has always been. The Holy Spirit has always been. The Trinity has always been. It's hard to understand and comprehend fully, but Jesus was there at the beginning with the Father. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was there. Hebrews 11.3 says this as well. Romans 1.20 has that link as well. So God is a God of creation. Number two, God is a God of covenant relationship. Turn to Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Ron, would you read that again, brother? 
or read again? <laughs> Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Sorry. You already read the... I was repeating something. Uh -oh. I didn't repeat things. So. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. <clears throat> So we see that God is a is is a God of covenant relationship, and that is true even today for us. As we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus, He is a covenant God. He is He is a God of truth and of faithfulness. But He's a God of covenant relationship. He's also a God of redemptive acts, and we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that as as we. It's important to know that the Exodus experience to the to the Jewish people is huge. It's in, it's it's an incredibly important part of their history as they look back and, and as they worship God. Even today, they look back at that, at, at what the Bible says about the Exodus and all of the things that God did by freeing them from slavery. Bring them out of Egypt, all, all the times that God gave them food and water and protected them and saved them all the way through Joshua and and starting this this whole campaign to into the promised land it's they look back at that and they say this is a god who does things and moves on behalf of his people and today we serve a god that same god who is a god of redemptive acts he doesn't just sit up high and 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 say do this do that um, and he's not just a god that just pours out love and grace he's a god that actually changes things for those of us that know him and have surrendered our lives to him. God merited the worship of the Hebrew people, both for who he is and what he does. And as I've read through this just yesterday a little bit and today, it really struck me that oftentimes, at least in America, we worship God more for what he does than for who he is. We're constantly approaching God from kind of treating God similarly because we're in the season to Santa Claus. What can God do for me? Give me. What can he change? And man, I wonder what would happen if if just we just worship God because simply because he's holy and worthy regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what we need, if we would just worship God for who he is. They examined the acts and position of God, and it fueled their worship. The mind, this mindset should always be a part of our worship, no matter how we're feeling, what we're going through, or what we need. And again, because, of course, because I'm preaching about this, I have this little note written down, and this morning as I was looking through it, I, it convicted me because yesterday I really blew it uh, with my family before we had our neighborhood uh, gathering. And I have this written down. My wife's going to snicker at this, okay? Nine times out of ten, I, Brian Donahue, 
feel like worshiping in any situation. I'm a worship leader. My dad was a worship leader. It's in me. It's part of who I am. I love to worship God. Hopefully not just in song, in music, but with my whole life. And there's days I do really well and days I don't do so good, right? Like hopefully all of us, I'm hopefully not alone in that. But here's what I wrote. How I respond that one time when I'm frustrated, when I'm irritated, when, when life is just hard, when I'm going through a storm, when I don't feel like worshiping. And here's my situation yesterday, okay? We just got back from Faith Family's uh, Christmas show, and they do a phenomenal production. It's unbelievable. They start in with a little bit of popular Christmas music. Like yesterday, they had two people at the front of the stage, a guitar player and a singer, and then a female vocalist. And they were just doing popular Christmas songs, kind of like a sing-along with the whole crowd is to start up. No fancy lights, nothing, just them on stage um, singing songs like Jingle Bells and White Christmas, you know, stuff like that, popular songs. And then all of a sudden, in one instant, it was pretty amazing, wasn't it? They hit, the, they hit one chord, bam, all the lights come on, it, they go dark, and you see these drummers back with the big, huge drums and starts into this incredible thing. The band's there, the choir's there all of a sudden, and it's just, just this amazing production and very powerful. Um, and then they go on and at some point in the service they flip the switch and it's all about jesus and it's the most powerful every year Devin and i look forward to it and the two or three last two or three years we've gone instantly when that happens the atmosphere shifts and it's like worship just begins and it's incredible uh, we we love it and it was interesting because we walk in a little bit late a few minutes late and guy way down the front goes two 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 you know, so we got to sit in the second row uh, of this huge place and experience this. And we loved it. And, and they do an altar call and it was powerful. There's 50 to 100 people that came forward to receive Jesus. And they do that every year. And that's what, what the pastor says. This is why we do this. We don't do this for the show. We don't do it for the lights. We don't do it for the money. It's a free thing anyways that people can go to. He said, this is why we do this to show people who Jesus is, to give them a chance to respond to Jesus. So we had a great time. We came home. Kids, kids had a great time. They had phenomenal childcare during that time. And uh, we come home, we get Taco Bell on our way home. So you know it's a good day when you're getting Taco Bell, right? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, get home and I've got a few more things to do. Devin's got a few things to do. And the kids just annoyed me. They were just too loud. And I, I really went over the top and I was really yelling way too much and way too loudly. Like, just be quiet, go upstairs, get out of here. I don't want threatening all kinds of discipline that I wasn't prepared to follow through with, you know? So it was really effective parenting there. And, uh, but I, I was like, Devin's like, you're just really ridiculous right now. You're just really, <laughs> you're being ridiculous, you know, which just made me go, yeah, I love you too, you know? And, uh, um, so I, I get done with my sweeping and mopping and a couple other things and Devin's doing a couple things and I'm just done with the kids, right? I'm just like, I just, they just need to go away. 
just, I just need a minute. I'm walking up the stairs going, I just need a minute, God. And the Holy Spirit convicts me and just uh, says, apologize to your children. What? No, I'm the dad. I don't have, no, they, they were misbehaving. You know, they just, if they would just obey, I wouldn't have yelled, right? And so I called the kids into the room and uh, apologized to them and asked them to forgive me and that they did not deserve what I gave them. And uh, in that moment, as I read through this in particular this morning in preparing, as I got here very early, I was like, wow, God, that's crazy. You had me write this down. But I finished the sentence with this. How I respond that one time. So nine times out of 10, I do great. Right in theory. But the true measure and depth and meaning and authenticity of my worship is that one time. It's not when it's easy. It's not when the kids are obeying. <laughs> right? When they're wonderful and cute and cuddly and saying please and thank you. Right? That's easy to worship God and that's easy to have a good attitude through. But man, when, when I face a little bit of adversity and even this silly, I mean, they were just being loud. They weren't really being disobedient. I just needed them to be quiet, right? I reacted in such a way in something very simple and easy and non-life-threatening or hard. I just needed some peace and quiet because I was under a lot of stress because I'm giving myself the stress. That's my worship. I totally lost my cool. Now there's grace, we all do that. But how we respond to worshiping God in the hardships and the times, and I'm not just talking about, there, there's some people that have an imbalance the other way. When things are good in their lives, there's very little really acknowledgement of God except an occasional thank you. It's when things get hard, it's like all of a sudden God becomes important to us. So we need to make sure that we're balanced and that our whole lives are living out a lifestyle of worship. That's even one of our values as a church, that our lifestyle would be a lifestyle of worship and giving glory and honor unto God, everything that is due his name. We see God portrayed in the Old Testament as utterly holy. Turn to Psalm 99. This is one of my favorite chapters. You can see I've got it well marked and written in 99 and 100, really 9800 and few paths that I have hung out in and, and always go back to because it ministers and challenges me. But we see that God is utterly and completely holy. Psalm 99, 3 um, through nine, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity in Jacob. You have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is what? Holy. 
Moses and Aaron were among his priests, Samuel among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. So we serve a forgiving God, yet a God of justice, a God that... Um, j just like as a father, a good father will discipline his child to teach them right from wrong, right? And God does the same thing. We have consequences for our actions, whatever they are, good or bad. He is transcendent, inaccessible, except through his grace and desire to connect with us. Mysterious and inscrutable. Turn to Hosea. This is, I love this. Hosea um, 11. Eleven nine. Listen to this. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. Isn't that encouraging? It's a great passage. <laughs> but here's what I want to get to. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. The Holy One among you. Thankfully, this Holy One, God, desires to be among us. Isn't that good? It's this, this is just blowing my mind this morning as, as I really kind of focused in on this. Like, God, I know the sin that's in my heart. I know the things that I've done. I know the thoughts I have from time to time. I know my attitude can be lousy. I know that, that I can think mean, hurtful things about other people. And I just know that I am not holy and righteous compared to God. And yet we serve a God and we love a God and we know a God who in spite of that, even though he is the Holy One, he is also among us. He desires to be with us and to impact our lives and to be influential in our lives and to be the reason and the cause that we live and to direct our lives. There's a video that I tried to download, but it wouldn't let me do it into our program for some reason. It had some kind of blockage on it, but, but um, uh, it was of Peyton Manning, one, the greatest quarterback of all time. But anyways, um, is a video of Peyton Manning the day after the Indianapolis Colts made a, made a statue of him and put it out in front of Lucas Oil Stadium as the greatest Indianapolis Colt player of all time. And they did this big ceremony when they unveiled the statue and all the dignitaries were there and football players and the city came out by the thousands to see this thing unveiled as they... Um, immortalized Peyton Manning by a statue. And he's done a lot for the city of Indianapolis besides just be a good quarterback too. He's built hospitals. 
Um, he's poured millions of dollars into the city for aid and help and, and to improve that city. Um, so he's a hero uh, beyond the football field. He's really given back to the community tremendous amount. And he's just beloved there. But the video is, is NFL films of the next day. Peyton Manning shows up to Lucas Oil Field Stadium before a game. And people are out there, Colts, and he's got this entourage and, and camera crew. And he eventually says, guys, don't follow, like, stay back. I don't need, I just want to blend in and see what happens. And it's this beautiful scene as there's people there taking their picture with the statue. Peyton Manning goes, all right, let's do this. You know, puts his arm and, and oh my gosh, you know, and it's Peyton Manning, you know, and people start to gather around and he's like, okay, let's do this with order. You know, let's do, you know, everybody, let's do this right. You know, and he stays there. It doesn't show how long he was there, but it's, it appears that he allowed many, many people to come and take pictures with him and talk with him for a minute or two. And then as they did this, and there was this excitement, then the cameras started to show some of these people who just had this encounter with Peyton Manning walking away. There's one man in particular who, who just walked away in tears and they kept following him as he just, man, I can't believe I just met him. Like that guy is inspiration. Like he's my hero. Like, you know, just this beautiful scene of how the encounter affected these people, other people from little kids just being exuberant with joy that, wow, we just saw Peyton Manning, you know, um, it's a, a people of all different backgrounds, just absolutely and just flabbergasted that they got to the Peyton Manning showed up and did what he did. And in particular, as I saw that one gentleman that was crying, and, and if you're not a sports person, it's hard to understand crying about seeing a professional athlete, right? I don't know if I would have cried if I saw Peyton Manning, but I, <laughs> my wife just says I cry at everything. Um, uh, I, I maybe I would tear up and be pretty excited, but um, people, they, they kind of, for, you know, they were there at the statue and they've seen Peyton Manning play but they never beheld Peyton Manning like that before. They never got to touch him, never got to actually talk with him. And it changed their whole perspective of that day. And it changed their experience. And at Faith Family, they wrapped everything around this word behold. And, and he equated it to this. He said, when you see a picture of an ocean or you see it in a movie, says people see pictures of ocean, but until you're standing there on the beach, it's not the same. You can't fathom the hugeness and the depth and the power of the ocean until you're right there seeing it for yourself. He said, you can see it in pictures and movies and all, all day long and not ever get an experience like you get when you actually stand face to face with it and see it in person. And you behold it, and it's this experience and this encounter, and you lose your breath or you're in awe of it. And the same thing is true when we truly, really, truly encounter God. When we behold the greatness and the vastness of God, and, or, or we experience His immense grace and mercy, 
We cannot be helped but changed and moved. Just like those people were physically and emotionally changed when they actually got to see Peyton Manning. And they walked away from that having encountered something. That's how it should be when we encounter the presence of God. He is the Holy One who desires to be among us. A lot of athletes would never, ever go do what Peyton Manning did. Or they would take a huge entourage and they would still be kind of keep people distance, you know, maybe sign a few autographs, but just let people see them. But Peyton Manning actually said, back off. Let me just go be with them. Let me be among them. And that's what was powerful for all of those fans. Peyton came and was amongst them. And we serve a God that desires to be among us. He dwells in a high place, we see in Isaiah 57, 15. But he is also with the contrite and lowly spirit, it says. So here's this God who is holy. He wants to be among us. He dwells in a high place, but he also is with the contrite and the lowly of spirit. And then in Leviticus 19, 1 to 2, we see that he demands that we strive for holiness. And we really see this lived out in the New Testament or played out in the New Testament as well. Spelled out for us, especially in the book of James. Where we hear a lot about, you know, it's grace. God's grace is free. Salvation is a free gift. But God has called us to obey him. He has called us to live a certain way. He's called us to strive for holiness. Obedience and surrender are the keys that unlock the floodgates, which releases an overflow of a deeper manifestation of God's presence. I'm a worshiper and I love to worship through music and song. And I can turn on the radio or Spotify playlist and listen to the worship songs I like the best. And man, I can be there in God's presence. But it happens much more powerfully when I'm actually living a life of surrender and obedience. If I am living in rebellion, if I am not giving my thoughts to the Lord, if I am not treating my family the right way, if I am just living for me, there is a difference on what happens when I try to worship God. And this, we, we get lost in this in America because we've turned Jesus into this hippy-dippy, gracey, grace-grace type God that just loves everybody. And we forget about His holiness and His righteousness. And we forget that He is also a God of justice and a holy God. Our ways are not His ways, the Bible says. But it's because of that grace, it's because of that mercy, it's because of His great love that we can approach Him just as we are. So when I'm having a rough day because my kids are not being quiet, or I'm stressed out about something, I've been very stressed this week because of this ask, 
and doing late nights trying to get the proposal ready and just like, God, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. Is this going to work? You know, just totally my blood pressure super high. Because of God's grace, we can always approach him. No matter what we've done. If we've ignored him all week long and we come to church, God is right here. And he says, I'm ready. When you call on my name, I'm here. I'm right here. That's the God we serve. And he is worthy of our worship, no matter what we're going through. But we need to understand that he's a God of justice and righteousness and holiness. We need to worship him for those things too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you, God, that the Bible is the entire story of who you are. Thank you, God, for the freedom we have that, that because of Jesus, because the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom, saying we no longer needed a priest to approach you. Because of what your son did on the cross and then how he rose again, that we can have communion with you and fellowship with you, one-on-one, -on -one, personal relationship with you. And that, Father, you tell us to come to you just as we are. You know our name, you know how many hairs we have on our head, your word says. And so, Father, may we just be a people that are always just real and authentic before you. And that no matter what we've been through, no matter how we've ignored you, no matter how hard life is or how hard our hearts can be, that we will always approach you with boldness, with humility, and with reverence, but Father, that we would never let our sin, our past, our heartaches, our loss, keep us from approaching you. Because you're a God who welcomes us in with open arms. Father, may we come and allow you to change us. May we come and allow you to heal us. We don't have to get our act together to pray to you to go to church, to read your word, even to tell others about you. We don't have to be perfect. But Father, may we seek holiness and righteousness in our lives. May we be a people of obedience. May we be a people of joy in any circumstance, Lord God. May we worship you with our whole entire lives, especially in this season, Lord. Because people are open. They're open. People need hope. They need hope bad. Father, would you use us to help spread your hope and your love? And as we open gifts and go to parties and... Lord, may we just maintain an attitude of great thankfulness and an outlook of service.
May we look for opportunities to help those around us. Lord, it's good to receive gifts. It's, it's okay to do that. It's okay to celebrate with presents and food and all that stuff. But Father, may we never, ever, ever forget that you came for a reason. You sent your son for a reason. And it wasn't just so we can have a nice holiday. Jesus came with the cross in mind. And he came with an attitude of surrender and humbleness. And he showed us how to live. May our eyes be fixed upon Jesus in the next couple weeks. Father, would you give us grace in those moments when we just lose our cool, like I did yesterday? Would you give us grace when we're thinking ill of someone in our family or neighbor or friend or coworker? And would you show us those things? And then give us the power and the ability to change those things and to love people right where they are and to trust you with the rest. We love you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you've been encouraged and empowered to live out the gospel wherever you go this week. I'd also like to encourage you to be in God's Word every day. Because as great as I think this podcast is, it's not enough nourishment to get you through the week. Make your faith and relationship with Jesus personal. And the best way to do that is to be in His Word daily. If you don't have a church home, I'd like to invite you to check out Pursuit Friends Church. We'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. You can find out more about us at PursuitFriends.org. I hope you have a great week as you pursue God with abandon and passion.